everybody. I am Timothy Lawson, host of Follow Your Spirit, a podcast bringing you game day coverage, team analysis, and player interviews. The season's nearly upon us. Preseason starts next month, and then we have the home home opener against Boston on April 16th at the Maryland Soccerplex. And I can just tell how excited everybody is. You can feel it just over Twitter with the players and the fans. Everybody uh, getting excited over uh, player announcements and the, the schedule announcement. And you can just tell it's going to be a special season for the Washington Spirit. SpiritCoverage.com is the website I will be using to uh, cover the Spirit. This is where the podcast, the articles, etc. will be posted. If you've already been there, you've noticed it's it's unfinished, uh, but that'll be taken care of by uh, game day uh, with the first preseason game. And once the preseason starts, it's weekly coverage uh, until until the end of the season, until the Spirit win that championship. Weekly coverage until then. Today's podcast is an interview that I had with Coach Gabera. I caught up with him a couple weeks ago, uh, shortly after the blizzard, might even during the blizzard, and we talked about his responsibilities during the offseason, what that day-to-day looks like. We talked about some players that uh, are going to be competitive for minutes uh, going into the preseason, and then just his balancing responsibilities, being a head coach and a general manager, and much more. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen. We'll be in iTunes shortly. SpiritCoverage.com uh, is the website, and I'm at Spirit Coverage on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. I think one thing that the fans could really use is understanding what a coach is doing at this point in the offseason. Of course, they see announcements of trades and, and whatnot, but as far as game planning or you know planning for the season with personnel, uh, what else is the head coach doing at this point in the off season? Well, you're um, you're monitoring uh, players' training environments um, and making sure they're on track to come into preseason at a top fitness level. Because our preseason is only four weeks, we're really you need at least six weeks for a proper preseason. So, um, and there's a lot of challenges in that because players are, you know, most of them are in all completely different environments. Um, you've got national team players who have probably more need than rest than actually me telling them um, or monitoring what they're doing. Um, you've got some players who are over in Australia, uh, so they're coming out of a cycle where they need rest as well. Um, and then you've got players who are kind of on their own for the last couple of months, um, and they've had to kind of create uh, a good training environment and be doing a lot of stuff on their own. So, um, you know, there's a monitoring part of that. Um, there's also um, works on, on trades and continue to refine your plans for improvement for your team. Uh, and then you're always in, uh, and I wouldn't say reactory mode, but you're always looking at other teams and, and their moves and, uh, and their needs as well. Uh, maybe some other possible trades that open up because of, uh, pending news, whether that's players deciding not to return to the league, retiring pregnancy. Um, it's just, you know, it's a constant fluid, uh, situation. And, um, you know, as as a coach, you are you are looking ahead to planning your preseason, which is the, the match schedule is all done. Um, but then you've got to start to plan, um, you know, training sessions and then training cycles uh, for the four weeks that you have, because uh, you really got to make the most out of those four weeks. 
Sure. In in any given week, you know, w- compare a week in the off season versus a week in in the when the season's in full swing as far as how many hours you're putting in as a coach for this team. During during the season, it's I mean it's 24 hours. I mean you're you're always you're always available, um, and there's there's probably you know more work because you have uh, planning of sessions. Uh, you have you know, communication and interaction and feedback with individual players. Um, so your your day turns into you know basically every waking waking minute is, is on the job. In the off season, uh, you're able to balance out a little bit more of that because you don't have that that day to day interaction with the players, uh, and you don't have to deal with your staff and and planning uh, sessions and um, you know, and dealing with all the issues that come up during the season because you have you're basically, you know, 20 to 40 players that you're you're managing plus, you know, five or six staff staff, staff members that you have to also um, get to manage them and uh, let them do their job but also be there for them. Um, you know, the off season it, it becomes a little bit less time-sensitive, but it's, uh, it's certainly at least another, you know, eight to ten hours uh, during the day. Yeah that you're dealing with, whether it's phone calls, um, dealing with time changes, you know, there could be times where you're working in the evenings. If you're talking to people in Australia, um, you could be up at, at six in the morning working with uh, European people. So, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's a fun process in the off season. It's just not as uh, hands-on and face-to-face. Um, and you're dealing with players that maybe aren't on your roster that you're looking at um, evaluating um, and bringing in. Quickly before we go into the, go to the next question, just to give the the fans a time frame on sort of what's happening with their team. When when do you as a team start work training together? Well, league rules we're not allowed to start training uh, on field programs and activities with players until the 14th. So that's a start. I, I know there's been some information out there about other teams starting on the 12th. That's just not completely true. You can um, you can start uh, with meetings and physicals and all that stuff, but you can't really start on the field until the 14th. So yeah. that's our that's the first um, cycle. Is we basically come in and we train like we have a game uh, on the weekend, and we'll we'll probably be a little bit heavier loading with the players than it would be a regular season game because uh, we'll probably spread the minutes out and. Um, we're also using that first game and that first week to evaluate our drafted players and kind of finalize the last couple of roster spots or make any changes if players um, are beaten out or other players earn uh, those roster spots and contracts. Um, so that's that's where it starts. Players will start to arrive in anywhere before the 11th. Uh, it's kind of like no later than the 11th, and then we'll have We'll have some some meetings and get the players' physicals, which are pretty extensive, uh, out of the way, so that doesn't interfere with uh, the training schedule and um, add another add another bunch of hours to uh, to what's going to be a busy preseason. So, in in most sports, this is something that I uh, that I've actually been looking forward to asking you. Mm-hmm. In most sports, uh, you know. When someone takes a coach and a general manager position, it comes with a lot of speculation of risk yeah. um, that the franchise is, take, is is possibly giving you even a conflict of interest and ma- is being both front office and the person with the X's and O's on the field. Yeah. Do you think that that's any difference in your position, or do you 
is there still that feeling of inherent risk in uh, someone taking the coaching and the general manager position? I don't think there's any risk because of where our league is and cost containment and sustainability and the way the women's game has been in the past. Uh, it has always been 99% in most franchises uh, the responsibility of the head coach to recruit and sign players. Um, so I think rather than paying a general manager, most teams have kind of gone the route that the spirit has done. And, uh, the, the same, a similar role I had with sky blue, where I was basically labeled as technical director. Um, but as far as negotiation of players, contracts and dealing with agents, that was something that I've, that I've always done, uh, dating back to the freedom days. So it's not something where you need to have another layer um, of a general manager in with that situation. Now, other other franchises like Portland, they have a lot more resources that they can share on the other side. So, yeah, it makes sense to have that that complete barrier where, you know, the coach can go, well, it's the general manager telling me I can't do that. Um, so it, and the way it's evolved is there's the general manager role if it's a coach uh, the general manager side of it is taken care of by the head coach. The business side is taken care of more by the, in our case, actually the COO and Bill, the owner, um, focus more on the business side of it. Not that I can't cross over and help and not supposed to help in those areas, but, you know, if you're looking at a conflict of interest as far as from the player signing um, and negotiation, you know, that's, that's not, that's not a, a problem simply because I've been doing it for, for so long and you know there are sure. times there are times where you'd love to to have someone else deliver the hard news but that's just um you know for the sake of sustainability and, and the business model that spirit have and some other teams have um it's just not it's just not the case right going you know going talk about the draft real quick mm-hmm. um you know i I've already got a chance to talk to you at the draft regarding the first two picks that you made. Uh, And the last pick you made uh, was uh, Kara Wilson uh, from Duke. And she was the only defender that you picked up, which uh, came to us. I'm going to say it came to a surprise, but um, there was a lot of, you know, like the equalizer and other, you know, well-respected outlets predicted yeah. that you, that you were going to be focusing on center back where they thought you needed some depth. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, on only taking one defender and not until the, uh, until your last pick, do you think that reflects on how you feel about your current depth? Or do you think that this, this draft pool was just lacking value at that position? Uh, I think, it was my, I think we were deep in the back and I didn't think we necessarily needed um, in the first couple of picks, certainly um, to, to pick a player who was going to be challenging for minutes. Um, and again, it, it's, there's a lot of information that, you know, a lot of you don't know about because there's a lot of, whether it's Canadian allocation or free agents or internationals being signed. So you guys don't have the complete picture. So, to say we needed help in the back, I, you know, if I look at the roster and I know what we have returning, I mean, we've got, I think we have seven defenders going into the draft, and that's it. That's after allocation um, and any free agents, international signings and stuff. And so then I, 
I turn that around and I look at what was available in the draft, what the strength of the draft was, and the strength of the draft was actually center backs and forwards. Um, so, you know, picking seventh, you, you know, we needed, we needed some more athleticism up front, I felt like. So um, we had a choice between, it looked like we were going to choose between um, Shana and Callie. Um, that's what that, that was the decision I thought we'd have to make, and then Mackenzie Doniak fell in there. So I look, we looked at those three, and we were we were really split at the table between Doniak and um, and Shana. But I had to go back to what I felt our needs were, and there was the uniqueness of Shana with her athleticism. There's just no player in the draft like her. So you know that was that was a choice that we made, uh, and then to be able to get Callie in our second pick. You know that was that was a win-win because we got a, a really talented attacking player um, who we can afford to be a little bit patient with in, for the future. Um, as far as picking Kara last, um, the the last pick or the last two picks were actually going to be local kids um, to you know to support the fact that we're we're trying to create uh, a strong reserve team and and a strong tie with our reserve teams. In our academy programs, um, and she she fit that bill perfectly. She'd been with the reserve team for a couple of years. She could play center back, and she could also slide in. And at Duke, she was a holding midfielder for the last uh, the last season. And you know, I've I've worked with uh, Irwin, Duke's assistant coach, for for years. And um, you know, he had good things to say about her. How she just continued to get better and better. So, um, you know, we want to we want to get our local kids into the spirit pro team. And that's, that was a, a good avenue to do it. You're uh, with the 34th overall pick just before her goalkeeper, mm-hmm. Madeline Schiffel, I believe yeah. I'm uh, yeah. pronouncing that right. Um, you know, you, you just said that, you know, with the last couple of picks, we wanted to get some, uh, some local talent to, to show you want, you know, to help out the reserves and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Madeline Schiffel along with Kara Wilson are, are definitely talented. And I think they, you know, that you, you're drafting talent. How much competition do you anticipate seeing at these positions moving forward? Clearly, every coach goes into a season feeling that, you know, the best players are going to be put on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you clearly have to have an idea looking at your roster where you think the closest margin of competition is going to be. And where do you anticipate that being moving forward? Um, well, we, we, took, uh, we took Madeline simply because we, you know, we needed another keeper to come in and, and compete for preseason. And, um, you know, I, I, I leaned heavily on um, Lloyd, the goalkeeper coach, and he had really good things to say about her um, from her time with the with the youth national team. So, um, you know, she's going to come in and compete, and um, you know, we have a good group in the goalkeeper spot. So, I think uh, goal in goal is certainly going to be um, a lots of lots of competition and lots of good competition, and um, then uh, I think there'll probably be Probably in the back will be the most competition simply because that's where, you know, we've got, got lots of depth and, um, and I think there's a lot of options. There's a lot of defensive players who can play, you know, in more than more than one position. So it's going to be interesting and uh, looking forward to getting in and, and having them compete and, you know, improve defensively as a group. Wonderful. Jim, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to, to talking over the soccerplex this season. All right. Anytime. Thanks, Jim.